Oh, Portland, and this is Claire. hearing voices madness radio can be heard on fm stations on the pacifica radio network and is streaming podcasting and archived at madnessradio.net welcome to our new broadcast station kboo in portland oregon thanks for joining us today on madness radio i'm your host will hall Today, my guest is Dr. Arnold Mendel. He is a Jungian therapist with 40 years experience working with individuals, couples, families, organization, and large groups, and he has also done conflict resolution work in war zones. Dr. Mendel is the founder of Process-Oriented Psychology and has extensive experience working with people diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, psychosis, and extreme states of consciousness. He is the author of more than a dozen books translated into many languages, and his new book is called Process Mind, a user's guide to connecting with the mind of God. So welcome to Madness Radio, Dr. Arnold Mendel. Thank you. Thank you, Will. It's a pleasure to be with you and to connect with you and all your guests. I'm very interested in having you on the show, Arnie, because you have developed a very innovative and creative approach to working with states of madness that um, came out of Jungian psychology, that you were studied as a Jungian therapist, but then you went on to develop your own approach called process-oriented psychology, which I'm very interested in. I'm actually a student of that here in Portland, Oregon. But what people may not know also is that you actually began your work as a physicist studying in Switzerland, and then you got interested in Jungian psychology. Tell us about how you made that transition from studying physics to going into the world of psychotherapy and and psychology. Well, already as a child, I just loved nature. I loved people, and I loved watching the rain come down, and I always wondered about it. Where is it coming from, that rain? Where? What are the clouds doing up there? What are the trees all about? And one thing led to another, and I began to study engineering and physics and applied physics. And, uh, and then I went to MIT, and already while I was at MIT, I began to realize, my God, these people are not scientific. Well, some are not scientific enough. The physics community is wonderful about uh, exploring electrons and exploring uh, subatomic states and all of that, but they were not good at exploring the observer's nature. And I missed that. Psychology should be a part of physics, but it wasn't yet. And so I decided, well, okay, that's okay, but let me go to Zurich and continue my studies. And then I was studying at, uh, in part at the physics department there at the ETH in Zurich. And then I sort of got excited about dreams. And I told one of my student colleagues, I'm dreaming a lot of wild things at night. And the colleague said, well, you better go see this old witch there in this witch doctor. And I, that's how I met Marie Louise von Franz. She was Jung's main student at the time. She wasn't a witch. She was a great character, but she was like a witch in a way. And so we studied dreams, and I got into Jungian psychology. Arnie, you went from your studies of Jung to develop your own method, which is called process work, or process-oriented psychology, and it draws on a lot of different elements. There are systems theory, family therapy elements. Um, it uses a lot of psychodrama and some ideas from 
gestalt and also is very body oriented. Can you give us some examples to give us more of a, of a sense of how you work with dreams and how you bring that whole dreaming perspective into individual work and also group work? Well, there's all sorts of applications to what I've done with dreams. For example, I'm going to tell you a story, a very brief story about somebody who had had angina heart problems. And uh, he came to me, I was a Jungian analyst at the time, he came to me and he said, I heard you're interested in everything in life, not just dreams. I said, yeah, but before we go into dreams, tell me what are you feeling in your body? What's your first person experience of angina? Oh, he said, I have a terrible knife feeling in my, like, hurts terribly. And then, then I said, aha, so there's a knife in your body there. And I said, now what did you dream last night? And he said, oh, he said, I dreamed about a carving knife, a big one. So then I said to him, did you ever consider the possibility that maybe you should be sharper and get more to the point? He said, well, what do you mean? I am a, I'm a reverend, I'm a pastor, I work in the church. And but the people have said to me sometimes I'm too wishy-washy. I don't get to the point. So I said it might be possible for you to get a little quicker to the point, and as well as taking your medication for your heart problem. He was so delighted. He went and he made a couple of big points the next Sunday morning, and he came back and he said, "Gee, I want to pay you for this." And I was very happy. So that's an example of how dreams and body experiences go together, and how the dreaming and body experience are meaningful and may even be healing if you can integrate. So this gets to something that's extremely interesting and compelling to me about process-oriented psychology and your work. When I had my own experiences that were called psychotic, and also when I've had visionary experiences or gone into altered states, I've come to this realization, this very powerful, mystical realization, you could call it, that the world that we live in is actually a dream, that we think of it as something that's objective and outside of our experiences, but actually what's inside of us is also outside of us, and what's outside of us is a reflection of what's inside of us. The reality that now I have found to be most useful is reality is a consensual. I, I start with consensus reality. Everybody says, well, reality, uh, let's say, uh, you can see the uh, moon gets eclipsed and everybody on earth will say, aha, we saw that, we took pictures of it, that's real. But that's only really been the last few hundred years. Before then, people said, uh, like for example in Northern Europe, people said, no, what's happening when the moon gets eclipsed, you can't suddenly see the moon. It's not that the earth came in between the sun and the moon blocking out the moon what they said was instead no wolves come and great wolves come and start eating up the moon or the sun as the case may be they start eating things up in the heavens and if people don't scream if they don't scream those wolves won't stop it they'll just eat everything up so today we'd say okay one reality is that the earth is becoming between the sun and the moon and therefore we can't see the moon but another reality let's call it dreaming because you can't see it right away happening is that wolves are eating up the moon and people need to scream to stop them from doing that otherwise the moon will be eaten up now 
Today they call that dreaming, but I call that part, a second part of reality. Why? Because it's real. How do I know it's real? Because if you go to New York City, well, and you try to look at the moon or you try to look at the sun even on the nicest day, the sun is getting eclipsed by what? By the smog. It's as if the wolves, that means the people, us, us human beings, are eating everything up and we're making a mess out of our environment and you can hardly see uh, the stars or the moon or the sun or anything anymore. And we need to scream louder to stop it and we're just on the verge of doing that. So, were those early Scandinavians nuts? Were they dreaming? Dreaming is part of reality. Your dreams are aspects of reality for me. You have a degree in physics from MIT. How do your studies of quantum physics support this idea that there are three levels to reality? Well, quantum physics helps me a great deal in all of this because, and it's even led me in all of these things, because quantum physics, things happen that can't be causally explained. Like one particle in a quantum system connects with another particle in a quantum system through the process called entanglement. Even though two particles may be hundreds of miles apart, they may be connected and entangled. And this is something since the 1970s or 80s and 90s that people have discovered. But dreamers have always, and shamans have always known that. You go into an altered state with someone that you're connected with, and sometimes there seems to be a synchronistic connection. Quantum physics helps me to understand dreaming. So what are the implications of what you're saying for our understandings of madness? And tell us about how you work with extreme states of consciousness. Well, the reason I use the word extreme states is because medicine, for me, when it comes to many things like allergies and when it comes to things like extreme states or psychotic phenomena, whatever they want to call it, is in a pre-scientific phase. By that, I mean that people just don't know what it is and most of the medicines are oriented, as almost everyone knows, towards calming people down and trying to make them more reasonable even though it doesn't always work very well. So I use the word extreme state to be more scientific because it's just that the states that you're in when you're in an extreme state are states everyone goes through a little bit. They're statistically not quite as pre prevalent as other states. So calling them sick doesn't make any sense to me. They're just there are states that we all go through, though people who go through extreme, so-called extreme states, stay in those states longer or go through them more often. But they're absolutely onto themselves normal states of consciousness. It's just that some people have more of them than others. Everyone is depressed and feels low sometimes. Everybody gets manic. Everybody thinks, oh, what the hell is life about? I don't care about life much anymore. That is a very, very common, especially in the dark periods of the year, that's a very common thought. That's why I call that, that people in so-called extreme states show the states other people don't really like to look at very much or work on. And so, because others want to marginalize those states, those states become marginal, and the people who go through those states get marginalized. And marginalized means looked down upon, oh, you're weird and you're crazy, you're sick or something like that. And that's not, that doesn't work for me. 
If you're just tuning in, this is Madness Radio, and my guest today is Dr. Arnold Mendel. He's a Jungian therapist and the founder of Process-Oriented Psychology. He has more than 40 years experience working with people diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, and other extreme states of consciousness. And he's the author of more than a dozen books, and his most recent book is called Process Mind, A User's Guide to Connecting with the Mind of God. You're listening to KBOO 90.7 FM, Portland, Oregon. And why do you think that those experiences and the people that go through them get pushed to the sides in society? Is it is it out of fear? Is it out of people being afraid of looking at those parts in themselves? Yes, yes, and yes. It's because culture says, in a given culture, we say, we are this, we are not that. And when we say we are not that, it means that there's aspects to us that we refuse to look at and don't want to have. When people go to school in kindergarten, teacher says, for example, I still remember working in Australia, and the teacher says to one of the Aboriginal children, stop dreaming so much. Come on, you got to be real. So suddenly dreaming and the culture of dreaming and fantasy and what have you becomes marginal and the people become marginalized so that's why I say part of the difficulty is that cultures get very very rigid and people who go through extreme states then come forwards with balancing kinds of experiences that could really enrich cultures but you have to have a culture that's really open-minded to understand that and that's of course my great hope (laughs) That's a very interesting idea, and it goes against our ordinary understanding of experiences like suicide or mania or paranoia, that you're saying that they actually have something positive, potentially, to offer the culture. Will they have, that's why I call it the city, in my book, the city shadow, that these people are shadows that they have, that these are people who have experiences that could be very important for the mainstream cultures to pick up on and look into spiritual experiences, far out, playful experiences, scary experiences, demons and all that sort of stuff that's just sort of pushed away. And the mainstream cultures need that more. We need to see it, people to learn, go on stage and process these great experiences to show things. So I'm still waiting for theater to happen to bring all these experiences out. I think the more cultures bring out their experiences and accept them, the better everybody will feel. These are some very interesting ideas. Can you give us some examples of how you put these into practice in your work with clients around extreme states? Sure. I've had a lot of experience, and uh, I worked uh, originally in Switzerland in main mental hospitals and stuff during a time, Will, when people still didn't have uh, psychopharmacas, uh, they didn't have the medicines to cool people off. So I saw them in their, in their states that they were. For example, a situation that comes back to me was uh, one of my uh, clients who was a doctor asked me to come and help him with a client of his in the hospital, in a mental hospital. And when I came in, uh, there was a person I saw, she was under her bed and um, she wasn't talking and they said she was very sick and they didn't know what to do with her she wouldn't come out from her bed so I went I didn't know what to do so I thought she's under the bed what should I do why not join her in some way so I went under a chair at a distance from her 
So suddenly she said, she spoke in her language and she said to me, uh, it's no good being a person. So I said, aha, okay, let's stay where we are. She said, I'm in a fishbowl and I am a fish. Will, this was the first fish I had ever met who was speaking to me and I loved it. Will, she was doing something for me that, you know, I had finished my Jungian studies, I was sitting in chairs, and here is somebody under her bed in a fishbowl who says that she's a fish. So I, I, what should I do? I don't know anything, I never learned about that. So I just went blub, and she went blub blub, and we blubbed around together, and she was under her bed, and I, and to make the story short, after a couple of months, she was walking on the street, seeing me in my practice. And then she explained to me, she said to me, Arnie, I said it wasn't worth being a person, and the reason was because my father came from a country that has done some very bad things to people, and he was involved in that. And as soon as I found out he was involved in doing some really bad things to other people, I decided it wasn't worth being a human being anymore. I didn't want to kill myself, and suddenly I found myself becoming a, a fish. She told me that story, and it took some months before she told it. And we cried together, and this and that. And then anyhow, she was, let me say, normal from there on out, and became actually a... Well, I can't say the details. She she became a she she's a great person. Good things happen to her. So you're seeing whatever the person is going through, no matter how bizarre or strange, as potentially meaningful, and then you step into it and join them in it as if you were joining them in a dream that they were having, and that becomes helpful to the person. You saying you're saying it beautifully, Will. Stepping in with her, dreaming with her, is so so important that validating her experience and at the same time will she's doing me a favor how many times have i had the chance to play as an adult with another adult who's under the bed as a fish i want to just say she's also healing something in me people heal us by what they do by bringing up a marginalized experience or a very different kind of thing is in that same hospital the doctors invited me to work with another impo so-called impossible patient I walked in the door and there was a, a, a very thin woman at the other end of the room right near the window there was a window in this room and she said to me as I opened the door don't come an inch closer this is a woman who hadn't talked to people before and she was she was they, they told me she didn't communicate so anyway she said don't come an inch closer so I thought to myself hmm I said you're smart because from my experiences then already as a therapist I imagine something unfortunate had happened to her so I said to her you're smart you're brilliant and you know how to keep people at a distance and that's important she just looked at me for a couple of moments and then she said hmm okay you can sit down but not too close and so our relationship began slowly like that that's another example she wasn't just incommunicative she was doing something intelligent so you approached her in a way that validated her experience and listened to where she was coming from and she responded to that 
another example of somebody who was brought, two men brought him to my practice. They had him on his arm, holding him down, and then they, they let, let go of him, and he was jumping all around. Uh, you might call him just plain nuts, or he was manic, or you can use any term you want, but he came into my room, and he sat on my chair. I was still trying to behave like a, a normal Jungian at that time. <laughs> and this man, Will, scared me because he was sitting in the chair, and suddenly, I never had never seen this ever before, uh, he jumped from a sitting position up into the air, and he hit his head on my ceiling in my room. Will, that was amazing. I had never seen anything like that in my whole life. And I almost cried. I said to him, hey, you can't do that with Arnie Mandel. If you want me to be your friend, you can't do that because I'm too scared. I don't know how to deal with that, which is really true. There I was just following myself. And he stopped. And he looked at me. And he said, my God, no one ever treated me like a person. I said, I'm not treating you like a person. I'm just chicken. I'm scared. Please don't do that anymore if you want to work with me. Otherwise, I'll find somebody you can work with. But anyway, it was the human relationship element there that became important. So, so there's all kinds of processes. One of the most amazing situations I came across was one day into my practice uh, was marched a person who said, I am the light. And the people who came with him said, he said that just now. This man said, I am the light. The people who brought him said, he was saying he was the light in the middle of this big festival in downtown Zurich. And at the moment he said, I am the light, the chandelier above crashed to the floor. So they were freaked out. They thought he was a magician. Was he crazy or was he a magician? So he came in and he sat there to me and he said to me too, I am the light. And I thought, that's really exciting. Let me try that. I said, I don't know what that's like. Let me try it for a moment. I said, I'm the light. And he said, no, you're crazy if you think you're the light. The role switched, you see. He was, he was the light as long as nobody else was picking that up. It's like cultural. So I said, I'm the light. He said, no, the light will crash on your head. You've got to bring that down to earth. I just said, I don't know how to bring light down to earth. How are you supposed to do that? And he gave me all sorts of tips. So that helped him and helped me and made him into a very creative person. The rest of his life, he changed. All sorts of good things happened. But that's like medicines wouldn't have allowed me to know him in that state and in these altered states like quantum physics predicts. Sometimes... Uh, magical, but I'm not going to call them entangled states occur, like the light and then the light crashing. This is a possible quantum entanglement situation. People in extreme states frequently have magical or quantum-like phenomena happen to them because they're at that in that level. For some of us, do you think it's possible that psychosis or madness is a positive experience and it could be part of a renewal process that could add something to the individual and even society if it's held with the kind of respect and listening and curiosity that you're talking about here? I mean, I can just say yes to you, uh, that people going through unusual states of consciousness frequently have synchronistic connections, and these are spiritual connections. Uh, 
people have called that God in the in the past. It's the great job of the person who is who is going through unusual states of consciousness to learn how to bring these what shall I call them divine experiences or synchronistic experience how to bring that closer to reality unless others can help them do it. But if you've had that experience it means you have the ability also to bring them together with everyday reality eventually. Arnie, I think one way of understanding your work is that you're really urging a rediscovery of ancient Aboriginal and Indigenous wisdom and bringing it into modern science, especially psychological science and physics. And I know that you've traveled a lot and studied with Aboriginal and Indigenous societies and learned from the leaders and teachers and healers there. What do you think that those cultures have to offer us in terms of the way that they deal with extreme states of madness I mean, if I think, for example, of my experiences with shamans in Aboriginal uh, Kenya uh, some years back, if someone was saying they were going through an unusual state of consciousness, these people would go into a trance and they would speak to what it is in that person they felt was bugging them or they would help them with their fantasy. Just like I play with people and talk to them, they would go into altered states and talk to their states in that way, using imagination to deal with imagination. And those shamanistic cultures still have a great deal, I feel, a great, great deal to offer our modern-day culture, which has gotten too... Uh, too rational and too 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 marginalizing of the dreaming. I imagine there might be people listening to the show right now who are going through disturbing experiences or scary experiences mm-hmm. that don't know what to do. Maybe they've gone to the doctor and the doctor says, mm-hmm. well, this is a disorder. Let's not explore this. Let's take a medication. What would you say to them? What sort of advice would you offer? Well, I would say to the person, follow your own true nature. You know more than all of us. Follow your true nature. If it feels better for you to take care of yourself in a conventional way and take something to calm things down, go ahead and try it. If it doesn't work, try another path. Then go ahead and look. go into the meaning of it. Find somebody who will travel with you in the sense of move with you into that state. If you, if you can do it by yourself, terrific. If you need help, Find somebody who will play with you with those days or explore them with you. Don't just think there's something terribly wrong with you. Consider the possibility that what's bothering you might be very significant, not just for you, but for me and for everybody. We are quickly running out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Arnie? Thank, thank you. I just want to stress again, we need everyone. We need every experience. Only together do we create a wholeness. It's a very important thing for me. It's a social issue. It's a medical issue. We need all kinds of states of consciousness. We need to understand them all. We need everybody. Everybody's important. And how can people get in touch with you and find out more about your work? The best way to get in contact uh, with me or with Amy and me, my, my partner, my wife, is www. A-A, that's two A's, A-A-Mindel.net, A-A-M-I-N-D-E-L-L.net, or you can find us on Facebook. Arnold Mindel, thank you for joining us today on Madness Radio. It's been a pleasure, Will. 
You've been listening to an interview with Dr. Arnold Mendel. He's a Jungian therapist who developed process-oriented psychology. He has more than 40 years' experience working with individuals, couples, and groups, including people who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, and having psychosis. He's the author of more than 12 books that have been translated into many different languages, and his most recent book is called Process Mind, A User's Guide to Connecting with the Mind of God. That's all the time we have on Madness Radio. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Madness Radio, voices and visions from outside mental health. Madness Radio is co-sponsored by peer-run support communities, Freedom Center, The Icarus Project, and Portland Hearing Voices. Hosted by Will Hall, music producer is John Rice, with technical assistance from Jeremy Lansman. Listen to our internet stream, podcasts, and show archives at madnessradio.net. Madness Radio can be heard on FM stations on the Pacifica Radio Network, including KBOO in Oregon, WXOJ and WBCR in Massachusetts, Alaska's KWMD, and WPRR in Michigan. If you have an idea for a story or guest on Madness Radio, to help get us broadcast on a station near you, or if you just want to share what's in your head, contact radio at madnessradio.net. You're listening to KVOO Portland. Coming up in a few minutes at 10.30 is Film at 11. We'll look at The Boys, Amazon's anti-superheroes program. KVOO programming is made possible by KWU member listeners and support from Dark Side Cinema, open every night and featuring independent, foreign, and art house films. The Dark Side is located at 215 Southwest 4th Street, between Madison and Jefferson Avenues in Corvallis, Oregon. More information and showtime is available online at darksidecinema.com. And don't forget, all of KBOO programs are made possible by member support. If you'd like to become a member, go to kboo.fm or use our mobile app and click donate. Click on donate. All right, coming up at 10:30. Film at 11 looks at the boys, Amazon, Amazon's anti-superheroes program. After that, at 11, Pacific Underground attends Hapi's artists panel and listens to some of Portland's most talented Asian and Pacific Islander artists in the city talk about their work. show reviewing the latest films from the multiplex to the art house but generally doug and i just sit here and talk about the things that we've been uh, interested in the and last like, week and, and like and, and, come and have stuff like strike that. our mind yeah so um let's just talk a little bit about what's going on around town um so we have so many great independent 
cinemas here in Portland, and uh, we also have, of course, all the big multiplexes. Um, I just want to mention the Kiggins this weekend has something really fun. Uh, they're having the Harry Potter birthday bash. Of course, the Kiggins is up in the Couve, Vancouver, Washington. Um, they're all eight films plus popcorn and collectible goodies. Jeez. Uh, and that is a film festival running from 4.15 this evening, uh, Friday, August 2nd, through Sunday, August 4th. And, uh, you mean all night long? No, no. Oh. They're running all eight films over the course of the weekend. And um, yeah, it looks really fun, actually. Mm. You know, So if you're a Potterhead, go, go do that. You mean a pothead? Yeah, pothead. <laughs> and they're also uh, that showing, shouldn't be that funny to me. They've also got something called The Bikes of Wrath, which is a documentary. Portlanders are such bike people. 